Okay, we should be live. Amazing. Welcome to Stock Talk presented by Stock Unlock episode 30, where co-hosts Jake, myself, and Daniel Pronk are huge stock nerds. We love going over the latest earnings reports, stocks are buying and selling, and our favorite thing, interacting with the live chat. If you are watching the recording either on Spotify or YouTube, make sure you give us a rating, hit the thumbs up icon, hit that bell when we go live. And as a reminder, we are not financial advisors. This is not financial advice. This is all for fun. Do not follow what we do. We are not professionals. We are not financial advisors. So non-financial advice, you get prompt. Hello. How's it going up there in Canada? It's good. Um, also, I just want to call out that I know we are directly competing with Warren Buffett right now. He is live streaming the, at the uh, Berkshire Hathaway 2023 meeting. So I imagine a lot of people are going to be watching this stream after the fact. I understand if people want to go watch Warren Buffett over us. <laughs> the uh, pros and cons are you could watch the Warren Buffett at 1.5x speed since they talk a little bit slower than us. So you watch us live, hop over the Berkshire meeting after. But yeah, hindsight 2020 on that. Definitely figured that one out this morning that we double booked. Do you usually listen into those, Daniel? Every year, yep. Awesome. And before I forget, actually, just give everyone a heads up. There are lots of earnings we're talking about today. We're going to be talking about uh, Dream Industrial REIT. We are going to be talking about Apple NSA, which is a National Storage Association. And I'm missing one, Daniel. What's that fourth one? Equitable Bank. Equitable Bank, of course. Daniel's, well, one of Daniel's favorite banks, if you listen to screen number 29, we found out that he owns a handful and Jake still yep. owns zero, which will continue to be the case for banks. But all yeah, right. Any, what have you been doing in the market this week, Daniel? Any buy or sell? Yes, but I actually don't want to talk fully about what I've been buying. Cool. I have some I have some buys that I actually would like to keep private this time because one is a regional bank. And Yes, I, I started a small position in a small regional bank. The market cap is now around $800 million. So basically, there is just so much fear in the banking sector. And I think that fear is, I've been saying this for weeks, but I think it's overdone. And I think that there are actually banks out there that have very strong fundamentals and they're just being hammered. So this bank in specific that I purchased, it's trading for a lower price to earnings ratio right now than when the stock market crashed in 2020. So that's how much fear there is in the banking sector. Like banks are literally cheaper than they were when the world was ending in 2020 or when everyone thought the world was ending. Seems like the world end, ends a lot over here on planet Earth. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about it. Yeah, I, I just think that the, the sentiment in the banking industry is so bad right now. And if you can find those banks that are fundamentally sound then i mean they're trading at literally their cheapest prices ever so yeah i bought i picked up one it's a very small position it was scary i'm not gonna lie i'm not comfortable buying it but i thought about it for over a week i did like ridiculous analysis on it i spent hours looking into it and i came to the conclusion that it's cheap so i i picked up some shares well, I'll speak for everyone else here that we secretly hate you for saying everything about the stock except for what it is. And just so you guys know, I do not know what this stock e is either. If you think that we pre-planned this, we did not. I am also acting like a child inside me, like, Daniel, you can't tell me to not touch something because then I have to touch it. Well, yes, 
maybe in the future we will hear what this bank is. I, I do know that we have a ton of earnings reports to go through today uh, from Jonathan Montgomery. Thank you for these live chats. Love the Canadian coverage. Yes, Daniel will be going over Equitable Bank. Oh, little bank. And I believe Dream Industrial is a Canadian company as well. And yep. just taking this one quick question from the chat. Again, if you're listening to the recording, we would love for you to join us live. Uh, we go live every Saturday in the morning. Hello, everybody. One question for the Discord. Yes, we do have a stock and lock Discord. It is free to join. You can talk to tons of other investors there. I think that the part related to stock discussion is a bit messy. Is it possible to create a separate room for each stock instead of having them all the same? Dan, you want to take this one quickly? Because we have put a lot of thought into this, actually. Um, yeah, so we decided not to do stock specifics discussions in the Discord for a few reasons. One is we would have a lot of requests for what to pick and choose. Then it comes down to, okay, well, what do we want to choose? And then we, like, I own my own personal Discord. And what I've personally noticed in my own is if you put a stock discussion there, stocks go in and out of favor all the time. So if you put up a stock discussion, it will be probably talked about for maybe three months. And then I've noticed that the discussions just end up going dry. And then when you remove that discussion, people get very upset, even though it's not active anymore. So instead of managing which stocks are in the Discord or which discussions are in the Discord and then potentially hurting people's feelings, we've just decided to not do that and just keep it simple. And uh, I actually like it quite a bit. So yeah, that's kind of our reasoning. But uh, let's get into dream industrial so i'm gonna share my screen definitely and i did just drop the discord link in the live chat that will also be in the spotify description and youtube description it is totally free of course lots of other nerdy investors in there but yeah okay. daniel would love to hear about this one this is one of those dividend rates i hear all the cool canadians talking about but i'm a yeah. lame new yorker so you gotta tell me what's good with this one yeah so first off what i do is in my portfolio i have a drive Sorry if you guys hear my cats meowing. Very, <laughs> very hyper this morning. Anyway, so I I have a por a portfolio in sorry in my Google Drive. I have a portfolio folder, and then I I stay up to date with all of my positions, and then just like upload all the screenshots and research that I have into that. This is just one way that I keep track of my portfolio nicely, and it's uh, helped a lot actually. So that's one that's thing a, that I that's do. That's a really great idea. Yeah, and then, you know, when your stocks are tanking, you can just go to your Google Drive, look at your portfolio, go look at all your, you know, screenshots and everything and just look at the facts again. But anyway, so this is Dream Industrial. One thing that I've noticed in the market over the past year, if we go over to Stock Unlock, actually, is basically all real estate companies were absolutely tanking. This is Dream Industrial right here. I'll zoom in a bit. The stock was worth about... $17.50 at its peak, and then it fell 40% down to about $10.37. Um, this was from 2021 to the end of 2022. So basically every real estate stock that I saw fell a lot um, over that year. Now it's rebounded quite a bit. It's up 40-ish percent from its lows here. But what was interesting is, again, the entire real estate sector was falling. But within the real estate sector, there are like subsectors. You have industrial real estate, office real estate, um, self-storage real estate, which Jake is actually going to talk about in a little bit. But what I noticed is that the fundamentals of these subsectors were totally different. So when everything was selling off in conjunction, 
I thought that there was some interesting opportunities and Dream Industrial was one of those. So this Daniel, is our- do you, before we go deeper, do you just mind taking 30 seconds for some of the newer viewers in the chat? Just a really quick overview of just what a REIT is and like why investors like these. I think some people might not be familiar with this stock. It's a uh, REITs are basically just real estate companies, publicly traded real estate companies. Perfect. Yeah. And investors usually buy these for the dividend income. So. Typically. Yes. Typically. That, thank you for that, Daniel. Now, so it looks like we're looking at the income statement here for those of you who are on audio only. Yes. So this is the income statement. You can see here the net rental income is up to $81.5 million on the quarter, up from $65 million. So it's up about $20 million. Well, sorry, about uh, $16 million year over year, which is almost a 30% increase. So this REIT is still seeing, you know, strong growth. Um, these other underlines here were for my own sake, but this was the fair value adjustments to their financial instruments and the fair, fair value adjustments to their investment properties. So this is interesting because with interest rates rising, their investment properties and their real estate values are still going up. So their properties are still gaining value, even in a higher interest rate environment. And this is because industrial real estate is just in very high demand right now. If we actually take a look at their occupancy rates, they're still at 98.6%, so almost full. And um, what's also happening is since industrial real estate is in, it just has so much demand right now, they're seeing their average rental. So let me back up a little bit. When one of their tenants leases comes up, what happens is they can raise their rent whenever they re-sign that tenant or get a new tenant. And this is exactly what's happening because the industrial real estate sector is, is in such high demand. So in their Canadian portfolio, you can see their average rent now is $8.71 per square foot, whereas last year it was $7.95. So that is basically a 10% increase year over year in their average rent for per square foot, just because demand is going up so much. So their, por their properties are becoming a lot more profitable, essentially, but... This is great to hear because I know in the U.S. people are hearing a lot about just REITs in general, specifically places like San Francisco, where office space REITs are having plummeting vacancy rates and things like that. However, it seems that this is not happening to the industrial space, especially in Canada. I mean, 98% occupancy rate is full. Yeah, industrial real estate, like occupancy rates are the lowest they've been in, I think, 20 years. So industrial real estate is in very high demand. So that's what I mean is like, when all real estate was selling off, industrial real estate fundamentals, in my opinion, were only improving, and they still are. So it created a very good opportunity, in my opinion. And uh, Dream is just continuing to execute very well. And for those of you who are newer to REIT stocks, you want to think about REITs as in terms of the type of real estate they operate in. So as Daniel's saying, this is industrial real estate. However, there's different types of real estate. And as you could imagine, different uh, macroeconomics and things like that will have different areas of real estate perform better or worse. Uh, they don't all move together. So it is cool to see that. It seems like, I mean, not that this is a buy or sell recommendation, but how is this stock looking right now after earnings? Uh, it did go up. Yeah, it, it went up. It's uh, It's been hovering around 14 to $15 now. The book value per share is still $17. Well, it's increased to $17, so it's still below book value. It, like, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's looking good. Uh, we got a question here from David, if you want to take it. Um, what, when you say industrial real estate, what exactly does that mean? So there's a, there's a few different types of industrial real estate. The best way to think about this though, is an Amazon warehouse. So just those large open 
buildings essentially and then companies can rent them out or lease them and basically do whatever they want with that large real estate Great. it's like an amazon warehouse that's that's the way i think about it yeah and of course this is different from an office space we are actually going to talk about public storage units which is another type of REIT. daniel was there anything else here that you wanted to go through for these earnings nope just a very high level view of it awesome well there you go uh Dream State Industrial had a good quarter. Yes, I'm going to talk about NSA. Uh, this is a public storage REIT. Full disclosure, I do own this security. I have been buying the security. This is not financial advice. And with the disclaimer out of the way, Daniel, I did write down a lot of great things here. Of course, there's a ton we're trying to get through today. So I'm going to politely ask you to make sure that I'm moving things around well. And yeah, let's, let's hop into it. All right, are you able to see my screen? Are you able to see the screen, Daniel? Yes, I am. Okay, cool. All right, so let's hop right into it. What is self-storage? People buy properties, put a ton of storage units in them. Consumers then go to these storage facilities to store their stuff. A big use case of this is actually moving companies. So when moving companies move people's houses, there's actually oftentimes a lag period in that. I actually worked for a moving company for two years, which is funny. So I did move things in and out of self-storage a lot. Other smaller parts of their business are uh, renting out trucks and packaging equipment, which is not super significant for them. They do get some management fees and things like that based on how they operate their PRO models, which is a joint uh, partnership that they have for uh, some of the properties they manage. But anyways, what we are looking at here, Daniel, one thing we have just been talking about is REITs and how they separate into different categories. So you will have to verify this yourself. This is from NSA's website, their investor relations presentation for March. And this graph is claiming that self-storage not only is the least volatile, but has had the highest return over the past 29 years, benchmarked against every single other type of REIT, which I found very interesting. Uh, you can see yep. that self-storage is 17.3%, uh, with as low as a 0.75-ish volatility ratio. And if you are listening to audio only, I highly suggest uh, checking out the video to see this another visual uh, another visualization of the performance of self-storage compared to other types of REITs uh, you can see the blue line here is the average five-year uh, return and then they took the lowest return over any five-year period uh, and I believe this is still over the last 29 years I have to double check that but as you can see self-storage wins out again so obviously they are selling their stock I think you should look elsewhere for other analysis of this but Self-storage definitely seems to be a very great REIT option. And we're going to dive more into why that is. A any questions on this, Daniel, before we dive deeper in the report? Nope. Awesome. So just a little snapshot of what NSA is. Since they IPO'd in uh, May, April 2015, they returned 285% share appreciation. Uh, you see their total properties here, as well as a lot of their year-over-year -year growth. One thing that they advertise a lot is the public storage REIT sector typically grows 10 to 15% uh, compound per year over the last couple decades. And they are definitely have been executing on that since they IPO'd, which is great to see. A lot of what we're going through here, Daniel, is direct screenshots from their actual earnings. So I took the time to actually go through these. We're not going to have to read the mumbo jumbo, which is all their financial jargon. And I actually used uh, ChatGPT to help me with some of these summaries, which is great. But... 
we can see their total revenue for the quarter was around 184 million net operating income was 133 both of those increased res respectively uh, a lot of the increase was due to them acquiring new properties as well as growing same store noi growth although there was some what's up one thing i am seeing there is that their core ffo did decrease three percent year over year and that's the metric people usually focus on with uh reads correct yes and this was due to operating expenses going up okay uh okay let's see so scrolling down here just to continue to go through uh this is them sharing their occupancy rates so one thing i found interesting they talked a lot about this on their earnings call that i listened to daniel is they saw record occupancy rates for 2021-2022, yep. uh, which I do believe I have a screenshot of down here. Yes. So what we can see down here for occupancy rates, what they're trying to show is that typical rates are actually high 80%, and we are actually returning to the mean, where when you, a lot of people are saying, oh, their occupancy rates are down. But what they're saying from management side is, look, we saw uncharacteristically high occupancy rates that we've never seen before in the industry during COVID, and we are now returning to the mean. Uh, I sound okay. Yeah. That's actually pretty interesting. It is interesting. So here's what's also really interesting, Daniel. I wanted to do, I got a little nerdy with this math. So I'm like, okay, if they're at an 89.7% occupancy rate and made 184 million in revenue, you could then project that if they had 100% occupancy, they would be at 205 million. You might ask, Jake, why are you doing this math? Well, I wanted to see what the occupancy rate had to be for the net operating income. Keep in mind, this is not net profit. Uh, for the net operating income to be flat, literally zero, and I am being a little bit hand-wavy with this math since I'm sure that other things would change, uh, but it looks like they would have to be at about a 25% occupancy rate for these current economics for their net operating income to go to zero. That was one of the things that actually attracted me to public storage REITs. The more research I did, you can go down to 60-70% occupancy rates and still be running profitably and being able to give some money back to shareholders on these. And this company operates, in my opinion, some of the highest quality self-storage uh, facilities in the country based on their management model and who they partner with. So I have no fear that they will continue to hit high 80s percent. And even if they do see dips, they have to dip. Like, you know, the self-storage industry basically has to go under is what I'm trying to say for yep. their occupancy rates to go to zero. And as a public storage REIT, the way that they grow and a lot of the reason why they're seeing this increased revenue is they are investing and in doing uh, debt financing to purchase more self-storage units. So what I found interesting is I wanted to see how they structured these deals. They actually only did 9.9 .9 million of cash on a 160 mil deal. They structure their shares really interestingly, Daniel. So they create a special B share class that has a $25 liquidity preference and a 6% distribution on it. And they do that because they don't want to dilute common shareholders taking words from the actual executives off their earnings call so if you run the numbers on this and just take the 160 mil as a cash value since it is an expense to shareholders they are paying around 11x revenue or 15.4x uh net operating income if you assume the 960 million 960,000 a square foot at the rates that they're getting per square foot today um, we have to keep in mind that they do also tend to increase the sales within stores so these margins can continue to compress down I thought that this was a fair value to pay, to be honest, but have to do a little bit more research just to see what other companies are paying to do these acquisitions. Yeah, okay. And then, let's see. Uh, yeah, there's not too much here. Um, I'm super sorry. My mouse pad has been 
really broken, so I'm actually unable to scroll. <laughs> okay, we're back. Money returned to shareholders. Uh, they did 69.3 million repurchasing of common shares. One thing that I love is they have 240 million left authorized in their share repurchase program, and that's actually about 5% of its current $4.8 billion market cap. This is actually comparable to the Google and Apple share buyback programs relatively if you do the ratio of the amount that they're buying back into the market cap it might even be marginally better it is yeah yeah I, i'm pretty sure it is i just <laughs> i didn't run the math for sure um they maintain their three percent buyback yeah, yeah they, they maintain their dividend which is actually a slightly lower dividend payout than previous quarter because again they did buy back shares so there's less shares to pay that dividend on even though the dividend amount per share is the same and it's currently yielding just shy of six percent as the stock price moves around so yeah, that's a general look at their financials. <laughs> There's a lot more I can talk about, but Daniel, I do know that we have a lot that we're trying to get to today. The other things that we could look at, yeah, they so do break their debt down very well. The main so. things that people care about with uh, these REITs is occupancy, FFO, revenue, um, dividend, and the dividend payout ratio relative to FFO. So what was their revenue growth like? Uh, the revenue grew, let's go back up here. The revenue increased to 20.8 million. I did not do the percent change on that, but we, oh, here it goes. 5.7% growth. Cool. Okay. Um, net operating income is up 4.8%. Average occupancy is down 3.8%. Rental income per square foot is up 10%. So how much FFO did they generate on the quarter? 85.9 million. million. Cool. Um, that's down 2.9%. So, I don't know. I mean, it looks like the REIT is holding up well. I don't really see this as, like, this REIT going under or anything like that. So, now talk to us about the valuation. What's it selling for today? Yeah. So, it's selling for $4.8 It is paying about a 6% dividend. My personal opinion, opinion on this stock, not financial advice, is I think it's at about fair value right now. The... The land, the landscape right now in in public storage REITs is interesting because they're coming off of the highs from COVID. They're still citing on the earnings call that there's a lot of uh, mismatch between what sellers are expecting buyers to pay for these properties, which they said are slowly being met. So they're finding interesting ways to give value back to shareholders here because they actually do want their deal flow to be higher. So in my personal opinion, I own this stock in my Roth IRA, which is a tax-free account. I think it is a safe dividend stock. Their FFO payout ratio is below 50% and actually went down, even though the FFO is down. They were very open and forthcoming in their earnings call about why that was, which was due to increased uh, property operating expense and interest expense, which we can see right here. In my opinion, in terms of the other public self-storage REITs out there, I think that this company is best poised for future stock appreciation growth, as well as uh, continuing to grow the dividend. I am slowly dollar cost averaging into this, Daniel. I think that depending on what happens with the market, you know, there's a chance for the stock to fall a lot. I think that some other things that investors might be worried about is relative to their market cap, they do have a lot of debt and they do use debt pretty aggressively for expansion. However, if you look at their returns on capital for what they're buying these properties for, they're actually yielding more than the fixed rates on their debt, which most of them aren't set to okay. finish until 2030 is most of its fixed income, yada, yada. So, okay, so I have a couple comments. First, if this company is a company that acquires real estate with valuations going down across the sector, they should actually be getting higher yields on the real estate they acquire, which is a good thing. 
I just checked out the stock. It looks like it's trading for about 11 times FFO. That is lower than it historically has. The FFO yield is around 10% right now, which means, you know, if they pay a 6% dividend, they want to buy back shares on top of that. They could buy back 3 to 4% organically on top of the dividend, which is good. So I don't know. It looks cheap. It looks like it's holding up. It looks like it could be selling cheap relative to its historical averages. This is a stock I plan to hold for a very long time. Good management, good dividend. I don't expect this to be like a 10 or 100 bagger, but I do have a strong belief that this has a strong chance of beating SPY returns compound over the next five to 10 yeah, years. Yeah, this stock has been beaten hard recently. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's one of the reasons why I started buying it. So I started buying this stock lightly at around $40, $41, literally buying two or three shares at a time. I actually think I went crazy, Daniel, and bought eight at a time this week when it went down to about 36 bucks. But again, these are very slow controlled buys for me. I don't know where the yeah. stock is going in the short term, but feel confident on it for a long-term hold dividend play. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's it. I can see my cat. Oh, man. It's probably wreaking havoc soon. Okay. By the way, everyone, I don't know if I said this on the stream. I rescued this cat from the shelter about two weeks ago. And it's still just uh, getting used to the house, so it's a little wild. Anyways, so cute. It is very cute. It likes to sit on the printer, though. Anyways, um, so that was an NSA. Like a little bank, right? Yeah. So I guess in the chat, let us know. Do you want me to go through Equitable Bank, or should we do some stock talk? I think we also had Apple earnings potentially too. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot we can talk about here. Yeah, we could also talk about Apple earnings. I made a video on that yesterday. But uh, in the chat, let us know what what would you guys be interested in right now? EQB, got it. We got <laughs> three EQBs already. Okay. EQB gang, gang. Uh, how about this? Anyone in the chat who's going to join my little pity party here of not investing in banks, just let me know that I'm not alone. But yeah, Daniel, would love to hear about this one. I mean been talking about EQB for well over a year now, is that correct? Yeah, I'm a shareholder of this one. And I am not. You are not. Okay, I'm actually going to stop sharing my screen for a second. I'm going to get this up. Okay, EQB 2023 Q1. It looks like your cat is planning something sinister. For those who are on audio only, his cat is menacingly sitting on top of a printer behind him. And I, yeah. I, I've got trust issues right now. Yeah, I know. Me too. <laughs> okay, I'm going to move this over here. And then, all right, first off, let's go take a look at EQB stock. So I found I found this kind of interesting because um, if we take a look here, EQB reported its earnings and it is up. Actually, wait, sorry, let me go to one month's view. Yeah, so it is up about 5% after it reported earnings. The stock has actually been doing quite well recently, too. It's uh, quite a bit off its lows. Pretty volatile stock with the overall banking sector. It dropped like 20% from its high here in February. But now it is actually outperforming from the lows, up about 15% from the lows. So I think the market is finally realizing like Equitable Bank is actually not exposed to the U.S. banking crisis that's currently going on they said very clearly in their um conference call this quarter that they're totally insulated like it is total irrationality for this stock to be selling lower with what's going on in the u.s right now because canada is just has very different fundamentals so 
let's go through some of the key things I found for this quarter. Right away, um, their total deposits are up 12% year over year to 8.1 billion. Their customers are now at 336,000. That is up 26% year over year. And on the conference call, they said that they're now approaching 350,000 customers one month in to the next quarter. So their customers on the quarter have already increased by another about 14,000, which is, uh, I actually don't know what that math works out to be. I think that's about 5%, 5% growth in another month, just one month. They launched their EQ bank card in the Q1. And so far they have 40,000 customers with that card. So yeah, overall, you can see deposits are going up. They still expect their deposit growth of 20 to 30% this year for a bank that is very, very strong. I like their hot pink color scheme going on there. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice. So this was the, <laughs> this was some of the highlights that I found from their quarterly results. So they reaffirmed their previous guidance for 2023. We'll take a look at that in a second. Adjusted Q1, a return of equity of 16.9%, which is above their 15% guidance. Adjusted Q1 net income was over $100 million. So this was the first quarter ever where they finally crossed $100 million in quarterly earnings. It's up 10% year over year and quarter over quarter. So earnings are at an all-time high. The bank is continuing to grow very strong. Common share dividend, $0.37 cents per share now, up 28% year over year, 6% quarter over quarter. Just so everyone knows, this bank is projected to increase its dividend by 6% every single quarter over the next five years. That's what management has told shareholders. So... 6% quarter over quarter? 6% quarter over quarter for the next five years. What? Oh my gosh. That's a lot. It's a lot, dude. I'm trying to like do that math in my head of like how many times that is. Because it's 6% times tw 20 times compounded. Yeah, so when I was buying a lot of the stock in the $45 range, the five-year projected dividend yield on cost will be somewhere between 8 to 10%. If they continue this up and they have like, you know, with the earnings at all time highs with earnings growing 10% year over year, I don't know. I, I think they're going to hit their guidance. They have a history of meeting and exceeding their guidance. So it's uh, very good. Moving I'm not on. sure if we should trust this Google search here, but I'm seeing that if you had a thousand dollar investment at a 6% and it compounded 20 times that then you would have just over 3.2 thousand. So that means that they're going to increase their dividend 6% quarterly for the next five years. That is going to over 3x the dividend yep. from what it is today. That is, I don't, sorry, last clarification. This is dividend per share yep. increase. Yep. I mean, hey, I'm not investing in banks. You guys know my brand there, but just on paper, that sounds like some good, good cash for shareholders right there. Yeah, they're, uh, I'll talk about that more in a, in a little bit, and I'll, I'll explain to you how they're going to do that. But EQ Bank, recognized as the best bank in Canada for the third consecutive year, by Forbes. So yeah, very nice recognition there. Again, customer growth of 26% year over year to 336,000. Um, right here. So they started reporting more, more liquid ratios and more information essentially on their quarterly earnings due to what's going on in the US banking sector right now, because they want to make it crystal clear that they are totally insulated from what's happening. So nearly 95% of the bank's deposits are either term or insured. And this is super interesting because Equitable Bank, what they've been doing for years is limiting customer deposits to 200,000. 
So they actually don't allow the, the vast majority of their customers to deposit more than $200,000. Why is that? Well, it means that basically all of their deposits then are insured by the government. They don't actually have any liquidity risk at all because they limit people. How can they service customers who have more though? Because you don't want to leave that potential revenue on the table for the bank. I think I think they sacrifice that potential for absolute assurance of their bank. Wow. And they've been doing this they've been doing this for years. Yeah, I mean tying this to First Republic and Silicon Valley Bank, we all know the fate of what happened to those. They had a lot of wealthy depositors, whether that was startups that had tons of money or even First Republic just quote a bunch of rich people in there. So yeah, very interesting strategy. I mean, it seems like it's working for them, though, in terms of their numbers, right? They're going up. Yeah, and they, and they said the average person has about $20,000 in deposits. So, I mean, yeah, they're probably missing out on some deposits from high net worth individuals, but on average, it's not really affecting them too much. Anyways, moving on, their total capital ratio is 15.5%. CET1 ratio is at 14%. This is, this is very high. And this is why I like Canadian banks, because the Canadian regulators, I believe, have a minimum CET1 ratio for banks of somewhere around 12%. If you go and take a look at the US, I think the minimum is something like 6 or 7%, which is just very low. So this is like essentially how much liquidity there is. EQ Bank, 14%, in my opinion, is very high. Book value per share is at $64 now. It's actually above where the stock is currently trading. It's up 12% year over year, 3% quarter over quarter. So this bank is growing super well. Like... Yeah, it's uh, it's doing pretty well. Another thing they reported. So everyone is worried about office real estate right now. Everyone's like these banks are have are going to have massive losses on office real estate. Well, Equitable Bank addressed that. They have fifty one point eight billion dollars of total bank assets. Office lending is less than one percent. So even if all of their office portfolio went to zero, the bank would still be fine. They do not lend to office real estate. They thought that was a risk. They saw that coming, and they said in their and their transcript that, you know, we're insulated from this event as well. So that was good. Key one metrics versus guidance. Return on equity above guidance, pre-provision, tax income growth, 8.7% quarter over quarter. For the full year, they're expecting 25 to 35% growth. Diluted EPS growth for the year is going to be 10, 15%. They're already on track to beat that. Um, dividend growth, they're on track to hit the 20, 25% growth. They're on track for book value per share growth, and their CET1 ratio is already above guidance. So they're on track. They're doing great. Um, I think this bank is now selling for a price-to-earnings ratio with their adjusted numbers from their acquisition of around 6. So yeah, that still looks quite cheap to me, and I'm happy to own it. It's just a very consistent stock that's compounding away. All right, well, there you go. Equitable bank earnings. Heard it from Daniel himself, and... People in the chat did request that. We do have chat popping off here a bit, Daniel. There were a lot of really good questions on semi-companies. Uh, so people are talking about semiconductors, NVIDIA, AMD. We got uh, Staccato asking us here. Uh, we got Eduardo. Do you have any opinions on these, Daniel? Um, in general, I think they're expensive and a more cyclical sector. NVIDIA, I think, is like ridiculously expensive right now. Um, I, I just completely do not understand the valuation on this company anymore. And AMD, I still think is more on the expensive side as well. And yeah, I kind of think that this is a more cyclical sector. You know, AMD's revenue, they're projecting 20% revenue decline this year in the next quarter. What is AMD doing? I actually haven't taken a look at their financials recently. 
So for people who aren't too familiar with these stocks, these are very hype stocks in the market right now because they make semiconductor chips and there is a huge, huge rise in AI and the need for GPUs and things like that. So especially with NVIDIA, there's a huge, huge demand for those CPUs and investors are definitely piling into the stock. Uh, to add to what Daniel's saying, if you do regular valuation metrics on these based on the financials they're producing, it is pretty incredible how expensive they're getting. Now, what do we know, right? Maybe they're priced right and NVIDIA is about to 5x their free cash flow, but it doesn't really look like there's a lot of margin of safety here. Yeah, so for example, you can see NVIDIA's revenue is coming down from its all-time highs. Looks like it is starting to increase again quarter over quarter. Trailing 12 months, though, revenue has come down. Let's take a look at their cash flow. Their operating cash flow in the trailing 12 months is also down quite significantly quarterly. Oh, it looks like it was actually up quite a bit that quarter. That's nice. But in the trailing 12 months, it is still down to $5.64 billion. What is their CapEx doing, though? So their capital expenditures are also... Well, this is a declining chart, but it means that it's actually increasing. They had CapEx of $1.8 billion. What was it the last quarter? Oops. $509 million. Okay, so yeah, still elevated. Um, and then that would ultimately mean that their free cash flow is dropping because operating cash flow is dropping and CapEx is going up. So free cash flow in the trailing 12 months now is $3.81 billion. So overall, this company's revenue is coming down in the trailing 12 months. Cash flows are coming down in the trailing 12 months. CapEx is increasing in the trailing 12 months. But this stock has just rebounded from its lows here massively. It's up over 100, it's up 145% from its lows. It's getting close to the trillion dollar club. Yeah, and it's price to free cash flow now is 186, which means it has a free cash flow yield of 0.5%. $708 billion company. So I think what's happening here is um, NVIDIA is riding the AI wave because basically NVIDIA is going to be the company that helps power artificial intelligence in the future with their GPUs. So I think people are buying up this stock for that reason. And now it's it's led to the company having very high price ratios. And I've also seen the news, Daniel, going crazy about this. I feel like I can't open a news app without seeing five to ten articles saying how NVIDIA is going to the moon and it's going to make you rich. So I'm unsure how much effect that's having. However, wouldn't I look at NVIDIA as someone who's been into technology a lot. This is my issue with it. And Daniel, we always tell people here on our channel, look at the business. What is the business producing? What is their moat? I think there's been a really good moat with semiconductor chips, and there's no argument around that semiconductor chips are needed. However, here is the issue. People are pricing NVIDIA like it's going to be one of the only GPU providers in the world for the next five or 10 years. Here's why I don't think that's true. One, we already saw Apple starting to make their own chips. Is that GPU is not exactly, but it's a step in that direction. I don't know if you guys saw this headline. Microsoft now is also announcing that they are going to start removing their dependence on NVIDIA and start developing chips in-house. This is a really big deal. And I want to make a comparison to earlier days of computers. Way back in the day, computers were super hard to make. Keyboards, mice, all that, they were really hard. Over time, as technology advanced and we follow Moore's law, those got cheaper and cheaper to produce. I don't know if that will happen exactly with semiconductor chips, but I don't feel confident that companies with a lot of money who are the biggest customers of these people aren't going to start producing these in-house. That's already happening. And then two, this is the pie in the sky tinfoil hat one, and I'll then, I'll, then I'll rest my case. Quantum computing is real. It is happening. 
No, it's not here now. No, it's not here for consumers right now. But I think it's really hard to make long-term bets on technology because things advance so fast and that rate of increase is only accelerating. And we see that. We're living it today. So I want to ask everyone in the chat, are you a semiconductor expert? Have you ever worked at or have an engineering degree making these or really understand the unit economics of putting these together? How much it takes another company to start making these for themselves? And what the future of computing will look like in 10 years? I'm going to take a bet that you don't know. I don't know, and I know Daniel doesn't. So just think really hard and deep. What do you know about these stocks that Wall Street and other people do not? And just be very careful out there when you're looking at stocks that everyone else is looking at. That is not financial advice. Maybe we'll be wrong and this will 10x, and everything I will say is wrong, but that's my personal opinion. Yeah. I just I just see this is a very, very, very expensive stock. Um. I really don't know what else to say. There's just no way that I'd be buying this yeah. one. We, we had a couple of questions too on Apple. I know that you looked at them. I'm pretty sure you and I, we both don't own Apple. I think we're both pretty bearish on it. So it might be a fun one to talk about because most people know what Apple is. Obviously, they're expanding into India. Their Southeast Asia sales are up. But I am trying to understand why the stock ran on its latest earnings report. And maybe you can walk yeah. through that a bit. So... From my understanding, what the bulls were saying on Apple's earnings were their services revenue is up and their Asia Pacific revenue was also up by over 10%, I believe. So those are the two growth drivers for Apple long-term now that people are taking a look at. However, the company's overall revenue was down and basically every profit metric was down as well, but the stock went up 5% and it's now trading right near its all-time highs. And this is making the stock, in my opinion, very expensive. I did a full video on Apple's earnings um, yesterday, actually. And I walked through why I thought that it was so expensive. I can quickly kind of talk about that now. Yeah, I was curious too to hear about like if they're making more money from like advertising. And it did look like most of their product sales for their physical phones and tablets were actually down in most geographies. So I know they're also offering banking to people. So yeah, like what's the story here that investors are seeing? Like they're going to become a bank, like the Apple car is going to come out and like be this new revenue stream. I mean, I I'm not someone to bet against Apple, but it just I don't see that story yet. I'm not sure if you were able to figure that out. Yeah. I got comments on my video yesterday, people saying that Apple's going to take over the banking industry now as well. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Maybe. All of, who knows? They definitely, I don't know. Who knows? Anyways, <laughs> the company's price to free cash flow has been increasing depending on where you put the chart. Let's do, let's do as close as we can get to 10 years ago, which would be right here. So the price to free cash flow, the price ratio for this business has expanded at 10%, 10.5% per year over the past decade. And in my video, I explained that this is why I am pessimistic that Apple is going to offer shareholders the massive returns that it has over the past decade, over the next decade, because a large portion of the returns have come from the price ratio expanding. And if you project this out, over the next decade at a 10.5% compounded annual growth rate to the price to free cash flow. That means it would grow, it would more than double. It literally would be up to over 70. It would be trading for a 70 price to free cash flow. So I just don't think that's going to happen. I think that this is probably the maximum 
this is me speculating, I have no idea, but this is probably around the maximum the market's going to pay for Apple is around a 30 price to free cash flow, which means that then even if the market held Apple at that price ratio, that the future growth to the stock price would only come from free cash flow growth and share buybacks. So if Apple grows free cash flow at 5 to 6% per year, buys back 3 to 4% of its shares per year, then it may offer 8 to 9%. And that's if the price ratio remains at 30. And I don't know if it will. Yeah, I, I, I was about to say what you were getting to there to take the other side of this um, little back and forth we're having about Apple. Let's even ignore the banking thing or Apple car aside. They've obviously made great products throughout the years and they're hard to bet again. So it is possible they hit a new product. If they don't, one thing we talked about in our last stream, number 29, Daniel, was a potential transition of tech companies from more of this hyper growth stage. You know, we're talking about Google, Microsoft, Apple, more to steady cash flow machines, which is what you typically see when industries mature. I think that Apple has the potential to do that here. They did authorize a 90 billion dollar share buyback program, which of course tops Google's 70 billion. It sounds like they're kind of posturing out here. Does that mean that they will repurchase it? Who knows, but they're authorized. So even if the free cash flow stays constant and doesn't change, this company could end up buying back half of its shares over the next decade, potentially. And that alone would then... Not at this price. You don't think so? Well, they already, they bought shares last quarter that they reported. I think they repurchased yeah, but you, 30 you billion. About, okay, $90 billion buyback sounds incredible, right? It's a ton of money. Yeah. But the company's worth $2.8 trillion. So what is that actually? It's about 3%. So well, I'm saying if they keep doing that, so they authorize that, right? But in theory, they're going to keep making money. They're going to keep selling iPhones. So what's not stopping them from over the next 10 years repurchasing 500 billion worth of shares, doing that same share repurchase thing? Yes. What I'm saying billion. is if they buy back 3% of their shares annually over the next decade, it's about 30%, not 50. So, okay, sure. Yeah. So that's what I mean is I don't think they're going to buy back half their shares over the next decade because... Unless the stock comes down. I mean, if the stock comes down, then yeah, they definitely could. But at this price, it's about a 3% annual yield. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I have this chart right here. Apple's price to free cash flow, free cash flow growth, shares outstanding growth, and stock price growth. You can see here Apple's free cash flow over the past decade has grown at 9%. The price ratio has grown at 10.5%. They bought back about 5% of their shares annually. And the stock price has grown by 26% annually. And you can see right here that the largest contributor to the stock price growth was actually just the multiple expansion. And that's what I mean. This is where the majority of, well, not the majority, but this is this was the largest aspect of the share price growth over the past decade was the multiple expansion. And I am not optimistic this is going to continue over the next decade. I don't think this is going to happen again. We're getting some great comments in the chat. It seems David here agrees with you. When growth rates come down, so do multiples, even with buybacks and dividends. Yes, we definitely agree. Uh, however, Rob coming in, yep. buying back 30% of shares would still be good, no? I mean, yes, I think it's good. We definitely got into a technicality. I think I wrongly cited 50%. Daniel uh, corrected me there. But yeah, I mean, a share buyback in general is a good thing. But to Daniel's point, when the market cap is so high even when you're talking about billions it's less of a percentage of buybacks than one might think um with yeah and a 30 percent buyback is good but um again just think about the time frame if you're talking about 10 years that's a three percent annual return and when you think about it that way like does three percent sound good annually like not really so daniel i'm going to take a private conversation we had to the public here because i think it was a really great one someone's okay. asking 
wonder what Buffett sees in Apple. He keeps buying it. And a conversation you had with me, which I loved, was how Warren looks at businesses, uh, the person taking over Berkshire and what they talk about 90% of the time, which actually yeah. is not stock financial. So maybe you can take this, this question from Financial yeah, John. So Thank you for this. It's also interesting because as far as I know, App or sorry, Buffett was buying Apple on this dip right here. Like recently, Apple was not that expensive of a stock. Like even just back in uh, December, it was trading for a price to free cash flow of 18, which means if you take a look at the free cash flow yield of the stock at that time, it means that Apple could deliver 5.6% to shareholders at that price ratio, which is a good yield. Now we're yeah, back down over the 10 year bond at that time, right? Uh, the 10 year bond probably was, uh, it was 3.8%. So there you can see Apple was yielding almost two whole percentage points above a 10 year bond, which means investors were getting a, a solid risk premium on Apple stock. Now that Apple is yielding uh, 3.7%. 10 year bond is actually lower at 3.4% right now. But in like in my opinion, that's still not an amazing return. Now, why does Warren Buffett own Apple stock? I was listening to, or I wasn't listening to, I saw Greg Abel. Um, he made a comment recently that whenever him and, by the way, Greg Abel is the guy who's going to take over for Buffett when Buffett leaves. Greg Abel said that Whenever him and Buffett talk about stocks, 99% of the time it's not numbers. It is what is the mode of the business and do they believe that the business is going to be around over the next 20, 30 years? With Apple, I believe that answer is definitely yes. So what they like to do is invest in businesses where they believe it's going to literally be around in 30 years and they're very confident in that. And the fact that Berkshire has 45% of their portfolio now in Apple means that they're very confident in this business's growth over the long term. So I understand why they own the stock. And I also understand why they were buying it down here. All I'm trying to say is right now at this price, I don't think that it's very attractive. Yeah, and a really good point there for all investors in the chat, especially those just getting into it. It is very good to just look at a company as a business. Don't even look at the market cap at first is some good advice we've heard out there. You know, see if you like the business, see if they have a moat, see if you like management. The price and financials, of course, are important and should come in at the end. But, you know, if the business has no moat, in my opinion, even if it looks like it's a good price, it's not a good price to pay. And we see that with a lot of payment processing companies today. I feel like we get a lot of comments in the chat. Hey, analyze this company, that company. And half of them are payment processing companies that all look cheap, but then you have to ask yourself, why are there so many of these payment processing companies? They all IPO'd within the last five years. Something's not adding up. So yeah, yeah, great, great points. And I, I agree with you 100% on Buffett's mindset there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, David, thank you so much for this. Really enjoying hanging here with you guys on Saturdays, enjoying the discussions. Thanks, guys. David, thank you for being here. We would not be here if it wasn't for you guys. And thank you so much for hanging out. A uh, quick little ad break, Daniel, if you hit that education icon just real quick. For those of you who are not yet on Stock and Lock, you are missing out. Uh, most of you know, but if you're not aware, Daniel and I are two of the three co-founders of Stock and Lock. If you don't understand any of the metrics we're talking about, that's okay. Because when education mode is on in Stock and Lock, little question marks appear everywhere that define everything for you, how to calculate it. We also have our free Discord and the support line if you ever have questions for us. So if you're not yet on Stock and Lock, it is totally free to try we are, of course, building this business, have big plans for it, and this is just the beginning. So thank you all for your continued support. Advertisement over. <laughs>
got got to get like at least one in the stream. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be watching the chat here. I think Daniel, that was all we came in prepared with today, and we'd love to chat talk with you guys in the chat. So keep sending us these great questions. Not not sure if you're seeing any here, Daniel, that are sticking out to you. Um, VJ asks about cargo jet. They got many downgrades. Last earnings were also not good. Um, this is interesting. So the cargo jet report was actually better than I was expecting. Um, this company, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. This company is a Canadian company, but yeah, so they saw revenues down and whatever. I was expecting that because basically if, if people are ordering less and there's less shipments going on around the economy, then they're going to make less money because they essentially just, they're a shipper, they're an air shipper. So I was expecting revenue to come down, but what the company has done is they've essentially cut out all of their capex and their free cash flow positive. Like they're generating tens of millions in cash on a quarterly basis, while the economy is dampened. And I believe last year, I'm going off memory, so please go and check the uh, SEC filings and fact check me. But I believe last year in the first quarter they spent something like over a hundred million dollars in capex. They were free cash flow negative, and then within one year. Their sustaining capex got down to, I believe, twenty million dollars, and their operating cash flow is holding up at around sixty million. So, in terms of sustaining capex versus operating cash flow, they actually generated about forty million dollars of free cash flow in the quarter, while business is down. So, I think they're going to make it through this downturn. I think they're totally fine financially, and then when the economy starts picking up again, and it will turn eventually, um, I, they're going to plow money back into capex and into growth. And I think they're going to make it, and I'm not too worried. And, and I believe that now the company is selling for around 10 times cash flow, which is uh, not too expensive, I don't think. So I'm holding. I'm I'm actually very impressed, and I'm holding. I am not. Fair? Fair. Well, I, I never had the stock to begin with. Oh, Daniel, I bought two more shares of Airbnb. I did it. I couldn't wait anymore. I kept dollar cost averaging in. I was looking at the financials. I was looking at my long-term uh, growth trajectory for the company. And while I would still like it cheaper and my average price was around 90 bucks, which did go up a little bit, I broke that ice. I averaged up. And now what I expect to see is the stock to go down to the price where I was waiting very patiently to buy it at next week or sometime this month, <laughs> which... Murphy's Law, I feel, will happen. But I know for those of you who follow the show, we've went back and forth on this a lot. I have a little bit of imposter syndrome with buying stocks I really like if it's above my average price. And there was actually a few people, Daniel, who were commiserating with me. They're like, hey, Jake, I have the same problem. So it seems like there's other people dealing with this as well. Jake, you know what oh. we need to do right now, right? You need to make a surprise face for me. A surprise face? <laughs> I need my way too much. <laughs> If you were on audio only, there's very weird video effects we could do with the live stream where it like zooms in on your face, and we just did it. Uh, it was very cringy, but it might happen again. Shocked and confused. No, um, <laughs> I mean, good. You're averaging up. You're accepting that you got to average up once in a while. As long as the price today looks like something you're happy with, then I I don't mind averaging up. I've averaged up on Equitable Bank a lot. Yeah, and. I mean, you feel confident doing that because you keep looking at their financials, you keep seeing them meet their expectations, you keep seeing them operate with efficiency. 
not fall into the fallacies of what other banks have done in the U.S., as well as not getting tied up with office leasing. It's just great, too, when you, like, feel that confidence. Yeah, and, like, the price the price is still good. One thing that Equitable Bank said on their transcript as well, or on their conference call, the CFO came on and he was like, one of his last remarks before they started taking questions was, the business is going to start focusing on everything that they can do to close the gap between the company's fair value and the share price because they believe it is significantly undervalued right now. So I don't know what they're going to do. They might start buying back more shares, but it looks like, it sounds like they're focusing on that more now. But, um, cool. I will keep on hearing about that from you. I'll be crying on the sidelines, uh, not owning EQV. Um, I am going to take one question quick from Rob. So I had this up before, but we uh, talked about banks for a little bit. Have you looked at booking BKNG compared to Airbnb? It has been an outperformer. Yeah, uh, of course, look into the competitors, booking, Verbo. Based on what I saw, Airbnb, uh, I thought was set up to continue to drive the most profits from revenue. I think that they have the better product. I see them innovating quicker. I like the CEO better. I think that there will be competitors in the travel space. And one argument I've heard is, hey, where's Airbnb's moat, right? Like, why can't other companies come in? And my argument back is, hey, look, someone's going to be the leader and the leader is going to be executed the best, the, the best led company and the one that has the most natural cash flows or profitability to reinvest back into growth. Airbnb has proved that to me again and again and again. This is not to say that booking won't do well. Like, I actually hope that all companies do well, as long as mine do well first. Um, <laughs> but, you know, don't take this the other way. I'm not trying to say that other companies are terrible. Just when I looked at the bunch, there was the most attractiveness to me at Airbnb. And again, that's mostly from the company's moat, their leadership, their product execution, even me knowing indirectly some people that work there being in the tech space and seeing how they operate. How about this? This Week in Startups podcast, great podcast from Jason Calacatis, did an interview with Ryan Seski, CEO of Airbnb this week. Highly suggest you give a listen to that. Uh, Daniel, stop me from talking when I am rambling too much about Airbnb, but let's even talk about some more of the issues people have. You know, you see the memes going around online of the, like, people crying and like, oh, clean up your Airbnb and like, hey, I went to a hotel and didn't have to do everything or like, oh, I hosted an Airbnb and someone threw a party in my apartment. Look, those stories are going to happen. They're inevitable. Airbnb has AirCover, which is an award-winning product for insurance. They are solving these head-on, and the CEO talks about these directly. They even talked about price transparency. They talked about all these issues and walked through how they develop products, how they look at these. And I think it's really hard to find companies that are, one, this consumer-centric and right all the time, but two, actually have the ability at their size to move quickly, execute on the product. And the kicker here, Daniel, is of the profitability of this business. I think that this is going to continue to be a cash cow. And I'm a happy holder. I just wish that it was as cheap as it was a few months ago. And I will rest my rant on Airbnb, even though yeah. I could go, could go longer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was definitely some value in the market, even just a few months ago. But I feel like a lot of that has closed. I mean, Apple's up like 30%. Google's up not as much. Microsoft is back up to near all-time highs. Um, even Airbnb is up quite significantly. So, yeah, it, it's it's unfortunate for people who buy stocks consistently. There was definitely a dip in the market. I remember I, I have a TikTok out of all things um, called yeah. down there, Jake Ruth Official. I made a video on Tesla when it was like getting down close to 100 bucks. And it wasn't like a buy sell video. It was just like, hey, like this stock is pretty hyped, you know. I would just like be careful out there. And like, after I put that video out, the stock ran a hundred percent 
then it dropped another 50%. But yeah, it seems like there was value in the market a few months ago. It has since evaporated with the exception of NSA stock, in my personal opinion, not financial advice. Like that's why when I look to put money places, it's harder to put into Airbnb when I'm looking at NSA. I'm like, it just seems like a better deal right now. Yeah, there's definitely still value out there. Like there are still stocks selling at all-time lows and all-time low price ratios. What are we going to hear about this? So for those of you who have been here since the beginning of this stream, Daniel opened up by saying, there's a stock I've been buying that I'm not going to tell you guys about. But then he went to go talk about everything except for the name of the stock for 90 seconds. So if you weren't there for the beginning, watch the recording, see if you can figure it out, because I don't know either. Uh, but it might look like there is some opportunity there because regional banks have been getting hammered. And one has to think, not all of these banks are going under, or we so hope. Do you think that there's any opportunity there? Maybe dancing around this mystery stock, not to, you know, try to... Yeah, no. It. The reason I don't want to talk about it is because it's, uh, it's like, it's an investment that I am going to do. I'll talk about it in hindsight, depending on how it plays. Well, I will talk about it no matter how it plays out. I'll make that clear. If I lose all my money, I will let everyone know. If I make a lot of money, I'll let everyone know. But it's just something I do this once in a while where I make investments that I want to make for myself and see how they play out. This one, I feel like, is testing me as an investor. Oh, I'm really testing my ability here. Because, as I said, I was scared to buy it. I was not comfortable buying this stock. But I thought about it, and I was like, it's when you have max fear that you probably should. And this was one of those stocks that I researched for, like, a week. I looked into all of the red flags that's going on in the, in the banking sector. This company has none of them. And it's just selling for a 5 PE. 5% dividend, 20% earnings yield, growing still. I was like, I thought about it for a week. I would be mad at myself if I didn't buy it. I would have regret if I didn't buy it, and it went up a lot. So I put a little bit of money in, and I'm going to see how it plays out. So I'm going to poke a little bit of fun at you here. As people know, we're very close friends, so this is all in good spirit. Okay. You started that off with saying this is really testing me as an investor. Are you using the right word there? Because this almost sounds like a trade to me. So I don't know if we would call this a trader uh, because we are making, uh, there is some fun being poked around of long-term investing versus swing trade and like if that's right to do or not. Like what is your time horizon on this investment? Are you buying this just like you did with Meta where it was just too cheap to ignore and then if the stock stops becoming cheap, you don't mind swinging it as opposed to... I love this business. I love the management. This is going to be a 10-bagger if I hold it for 5 or 10 years. This like is the mindset. This is the mindset. I don't know when the stock is going to recover, but if it continues executing fundamentally, I think the market will eventually realize that. And I do think, I do strongly believe that this whole banking crisis that we're going through, if you project out 5 years, I don't think people are going to be talking about this. I think this is something that's currently going on in the headlines and in the markets right now. I think the economy is going to recover. I think we're going to get through this and the economy is going to be fine one day again. And all of these discounts that are in the banking sector are eventually going to fade away. These things typically don't last long. So yeah, I don't know when, you know, the stock's going to recover, if it ever will. I'm just seeing it at a 20% earnings yield with a dividend net income revenue increasing. Insiders are increasing their positions. They have large ownership of the stock and everything looks okay. So Yes, if the stock doubled tomorrow, I would probably sell it. 
Do I think that's going to happen? No. But I'm an, I would like to say that I'm an adaptable investor. I like to buy very cheap stocks. I don't know when their prices are going to recover. But when they do, I am happy to sell them if it's not a stock that I plan on holding forever, which this one is. Well, so at some point in the future, yes, I will probably sell this. When that is, I don't know today. I really don't know. Daniel, the uh, beautiful chameleon investor. Uh, I will use investor instead of trader. If you want my personal opinion, this does sound like investing to me. You're looking at the financials. This isn't a gambling chip. And ZigZag is asking, what stock are you talking about? Well, that is the question of the hour because I actually don't even know what stock we're talking about. If you go back to the beginning of this stream or if you're watching the recording, Daniel did say that he was buying a regional bank stock. However, he is keeping a little bit tight-lipped for now. Very respectable, there's, Daniel. There's some and, investments yeah, you know, I don't share. It's just what it is. I'm sorry, everyone. No, there's no reason to apologize. I mean, financials are shared when we feel comfortable doing so. What I will say is it's a little treasure hunt. You did leave a lot of little bits of information at I'll the beginning of the stream. I think people might be able to use the stock unlock screener and plug in some of the values you said to maybe start guessing what the stock is. So once this is posted, go in the comments. I'll be there too. Maybe we can figure it out, but Daniel, you know, is respectfully and I will back him up as that. Uh, I can tell you how I found it. Do you want to keep talking about it? Because I feel the more we talk about it, it's like it, it might become obvious. No. I just... No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to make it obvious. But I will whatever you feel comfortable with. Go for. I will tell people the thought process I had when I was looking at regional banks. There's hundreds of them, so you know I'm not pumping my stock. That because I never pump my stocks. Okay, so that is, I'm I'm not only those biceps, right, bro? Only biceps. But I'm actually trying to avoid that right now. I'm actively trying to avoid that problem. So I noticed that there is. Definitely everyone notices there's a banking crisis going on in the U.S. That means the entire banking sector is being hit. That also means there's probably some very fundamentally sound banks out there that are selling at very low prices and being affected by the overall sector. So what I did is I went into our stock and lock screener. I went to the bank. I, I filtered out the banking sector, so I'm only looking at banks. I entered in market caps below $2 billion, so the smaller market caps. I looked for price to earnings ratios below around seven, dividend yields um, above 3%. And then I just started going through them. Our screener. Should we, should our we do that right now? I don't want to do that right now. I don't want to do that right now. But <laughs> um, our screener ranks all the stocks based on our stock unlock insight scores. So I was looking at the most fundamentally sound ones, at least based on our insights. Then what I did is I went and I looked at insider ownership. How are the insiders large holders? Because I want to see people that have their skin in the game, especially in what's going on in the banking sector right now. And then I also looked at are insiders increasing their positions. So if the stock is down, you know, 60% from its all-time highs, are the, what are the insiders doing? Are they selling while it's down? That's a red flag. Or are they buying while it's down and increasing their positions in the bank? To me, that's a, that's a green flag. It's a good thing. Then I also take a look at the fundamentals. Is the revenue growing? Is the dividend still growing? Is the net income still growing? And then I basically was just looking for banks that were selling for cheap that had all of these things. And then, you know, I went and I did some deeper digging in the investor presentation, like what loans do they have? What's their what what's their debt look like and all that. But at a high level, that's really just what I was looking for. And don't worry, Daniel, not about to recreate that screen. I think that is the job for people who are watching. And for those of you who are on audio right now, we are looking at the stock unlock screener. 
this was a ton of fun to build and there's a lot of really cool tech powering this but we take our unique insight scores as well as standard stock data to give a really unique stock screening experience what is stock screening you might ask it's the ability to search through tens of thousands of stocks based on the input you put in so just to lightly cover what daniel just said he was able to use our screener to talk about this mystery stock that we are dancing around he said that he plugged in banking the ratios and things that you wanted as well as some of our insight scores and from there you can actually generate a watch list easily add these to do some more research on and this is just a really really great way not only to find good stocks but my favorite thing avoid bad stocks so if you have not yet used this i highly suggest you take the time to learn it it's very powerful and it seems like daniel you were able to use uh, the stock and lock software here to find a stock which we will hear about in the future so thank you yep. for sharing that with us and also no thank you for not sharing some information with us but i will say this again as your friend and co-founder 100 back you up on the secrecy and i commemorate you for it i think it takes you know very smart people to figure out what parts of their lives should be public or not and i'm excited to hear about this one whether you said you know like you said you'll tell us if it goes to zero you'll tell us if it goes to the moon so, yeah i'll let everyone know what happened stay tuned. i'll let everyone know what happens after the fact definitely and um whatever I, happens i'll let everyone know but uh in for sure for time. sure we, we 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 believe you or at least i believe you and check out the time here uh we are at an hour and nine minutes i know that it is a beautiful day out there in canada it looks like the sun is shining through the window you want to take any more questions here daniel or uh, move this to a close um yeah i'll i'll probably close i have some things i need to go do actually but I just want to say thanks everyone in the chat for understanding why, you know, this one in specific, I'm not really willing to share. It just seems like people are totally understanding and I appreciate that. We'll wait, we'll wait for the comments to come in of people who weren't with us live and uh, we will handle expectations there as well. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, guys, thank you for joining us again. We are the founders of Stock Unlock. Check us out, free to use. We go live every Saturday. We have a free Discord. Uh, we are two out of the three founders of Stock and Lock, and like I said, we are huge stock nerds. It is such a pleasure to be with you all today. Thank you so much for coming, especially if you were here over the Berkshire Hathaway live stream. We did not do that on purpose. <laughs> In the future, we will not double book. Daniel, any any goodbyes here? I got my finger on the trigger here on the end broadcast button. So, um, I'm seeing people ask or talk about CVS. I actually saw someone talk about that in our Discord recently. So. I haven't looked into it, but it, it seems like people are saying it's undervalued right now. So if you're looking for a research candidate, maybe that one's interesting, just based on what I'm seeing in the chats. Um, also, thank you everyone for tuning in to us over Warren Buffett at the Berkshire stream. That's incredible. And yeah, it was fun. Dude, so many people in the chat right now are probably like, oh my God, I can't believe I forgot about the Berkshire meeting <laughs> I stayed in here and said, it to Warren Buffett. We are not as good as Warren Buffett. No one will ever touch him. We're not even trying to make a comparison, by the way, which is why we're making a joke about it. If anything, we are Warren Buffett disciples. We will never be as great as him, but we can only aspire to fill in half the uh, shoe print that he is leaving for us. So just to be uh, very clear. Anyways, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash the send broadcast button, hit the like button, subscribe bell icon on Spotify, all that good stuff, and have a great weekend. All right. Bye, everyone.